Yeah, so this Why We Believe series, um, I, 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 really, I really appreciate this series so far. This is my first chance to finally jump in and join the uh, rotation to teach on it. Uh, but so when Pastor Ray asked uh, months ago before doing this, he was uh, thinking, you know, what do, what do you think about doing the SFBC Articles of Faith? And I was like, yes. <laughs> like, of course. Like, that, that's such a, such, a, such, a, such a keen idea. Just because since we fused, right, with the light and ETC, our group has just gotten so big. And we've had a lot of new people come in as well. And so it's just so easy for folks to slip through the cracks. And, and we want to know or we want to make sure um, that we all have our theology right because we don't know what we all believe right people coming in here um, we, we trust that most of you uh, myself included uh, most of us we, we've come to this church um, because of what this church stands for right and because of what this church stands upon this church uh, holds to a faithful adherence to the word of God right and so that's that is. I'm inclined to say selling point of SFBC, but this isn't marketing, right? This is not a selling point, but that that's the the main quintessential virtue of our church. Um, so, but in any case, we're we're glad that we're all here. Uh, yet we want to make sure that all of you know your doctrine, that you have a razor-sharp, fine-tuned, honed, precise theology, a precise body of doctrine, a biblically accurate theology. And we care about your doctrine because we care about your soul. Because your doctrine informs your growth, it informs your maturity in Christ, right? It is your doctrine which informs how you will engage in life. Orthodoxy informs orthopraxy. Profession informs practice. So we care about your doctrine because your spiritual house must be built on the solid foundation of strong biblical doctrine in order to withstand the storm. And that's why these guys come up here week after week and, and they labor over this word to bring you guys something meaningful, a word from God to God's people week after week. And they labor to get it right, to get it clear, so that you get your doctrine right, so that you get your Bible right, so that you get God right, so that you get your faith right, so that you get life right. For we eagerly, eagerly desire that none of us here will be, as Ephesians 4 says, children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. But speaking the truth in love, that's what we're doing here. We are growing up and we are being built up into him who is the head, that is Jesus Christ. Now, the, the beauty of going through the SFBC articles of faith is that... They're essentially an abbreviated systematic theology. So it, it's very comprehensive, and yet it's, it's very uh, simple at the same time. We're not going through like Wayne Grudem or, or, or something more hefty. So basically, you're getting a comprehensive overview of all the main primary biblical doctrines that you need to know. Basically, the stuff that we're covering in this series are essentially all the hills that you might need to die on. 
the inerrancy of Scripture, the sovereignty of God, the person and work of Jesus Christ, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And at the rate at which the world is going and that we're progressing, I mean, that day is coming soon when you're going to need to decide which hills you will, in fact, die on, perhaps. I mean, for instance, the Articles of Faith will also address some contemporary ideologies that are attacking the church in our time, like uh, gender, marriage, uh, sexuality issues, abortion. So, so basically, it's, it's, it's a very helpful and, I think, essential series that we're doing. But in any case, tonight, we're looking at... Uh, we're actually looking at separation. So I know it says sanctification, but on the Articles of Faith, it's labeled separation. But essentially, it, it, it is sanctification because you're, you're separated from the world. You're, you're, you're called out of the world to be holy, set apart, right? But it's not so much talking about um, like he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, progressive sanctification. So we're focusing on separation tonight. And now I'm just going to read uh, what it says in the Articles of Faith with regards to separation. We believe that all believers are set apart from sin to God and, and thus called saints, holy ones. Christians are to live in such a manner as not to bring reproach upon their Savior and Lord. God commands believers to separate from all religious apostasy of doctrines or practices, all worldly and sinful pleasures, practices, and associations. And it lists uh, several uh, scripture references of which our text this evening is, uh, is one of them. And so 1 John 2, 15-17 is, is our focus tonight. Um, so with that in view, let, let's pray. God, teach us what it means to be separate, what it means to be set apart and sanctified, what it means to be called out from the world, to be your saints in this corrupted land, your holy ones who have been called out to be radiant lights in this darkness. The light has come into the world, but men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. God, I pray that you would melt any heart that has grown cold towards you and, and liberate any heart that has felt ensnared and enslaved to this world and its lusts. Deliver us, God. Help us, teach us, transform us. Pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So let's look at 1 John 2 if you're not there already. So now John writes this epistle so that his hearers may know. Okay, so essentially the, the purpose of 1 John is so that you may know whether or not you have eternal life. Okay, and now this, this letter includes a series of tests by which Christians can know if they're indeed Christians. So there are, I guess, three general tests. One of faith, sound faith in proper doctrine will, will reveal whether or not you're a genuine Christian. And then there's obedience. Obedience to the Lord's commands will show whether or not you are indeed a believer in Jesus Christ. Love is the third Love for God and fellow believers is a litmus test. It, it shows, right? It litmus, is it acidic? Is it a base? Is, are, you, are you red or are you blue? Right? And now our passage tonight has to do with the third, which is love. Specifically, the object of your love, the object of the believer's love. So let's, let's look at our test. 1 John 2, 15, 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, 
the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Verse 17. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So tonight we're going to look at two realities for believers and the world. Two realities for believers and the world. Now, it's a super simple outline tonight. It's straight from the text. Nothing fancy. No gimmicks, okay? Two realities for believers and the world. First, lovers of God cannot love the world. Lovers of God cannot love the world. Second, the world with its lusts are perishing away. The world with its lusts are perishing away. So first, let's look at lovers of God cannot love the world, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is very one and zero binary, very simple, clear cut. There's no wiggle room here, okay? Do not love the world. That word for love, do not prefer the world. Do not set your heart on the world. This love is singular, Okay, love is a discriminating affection. This love is not a love just ambiguous for anyone and everyone. But this love is a decisive love. It is a one-track, singular love. So it's like you're an owner of a Mazda Miata. Okay, I don't know if this generation, do you guys, that's still on the road? Okay, check, cool. So, I, I think it only has two seats, right? Okay. <laughs> Should have researched that better. But, so, it's, it's just you and someone else. All right, no, no room in the middle for a third person. It's just, that, that's it. So, it's just you and one other. This, this, that's, it's, that's the type of love we're dealing with. It's you, and it's singular, someone else. So do not love the world, he says. So we ask, what is the world that John is talking about? Because he writes earlier in John chapter 3, the gospel of John, for God so loved the world, right? Now, there are three possibilities. Okay? So is he talking about the physical world? First, let's cover the physical world. Is he talking about the physical world? Do not love the word, do not love the earth? Is that what he's talking about? No, right? That's, no, we, we can appreciate God's wondrously beautiful creation, right? And, and he, you know, we, it's, he has created to, to refresh us. And, and even, you know, the Noahic covenant, right? After, after the flood and, and, and they come out, Noah comes out of the ark and God puts his bow in the sky, right? He says, never again, Will the seasons, sea time and harvest and all these things cease? Never will they cease. This is kind of like a, like a, a rekindling, a revamping of how good it was at creation, right? Because you know before the flood, it was corruption spread throughout mankind, violence, right? But then after the flood, and God smelled the aroma of Noah's sacrifice, and he says, and never again will I cause the waters to rise to kill all living flesh on earth. And sea time and harvest, these things will not cease. Morning and evening, the sunrise and the sunsets. It's just it's that, that assurance with, with, the, with this, this created order that man will be cared for by God, that there will be harvest, there will be food. Um, so, 
so we can appreciate God's creation. He has a purpose in view with creation. Um, and it, it, is, it is used to, to point us to him, right? So first, no, it's not the world. It's not saying do not love the physical world. Secondly, is it the world of mankind? The world of mankind, of, of men and women, people, souls. No, that's definitely not the case. Because this is the world that he speaks about in John chapter 3. He loves the souls of men. He loves, he loves mankind. That's why he gave mankind his son. That's why we have Christmas. Right? And so we, as children of the all-benevolent God, are also called to love that world as he does. That we might point them to the gift, the good gift that the Father of lights has given, which he has given in his son, Jesus Christ. Right? So, we're not to love the physical world. I, I mean, uh, he's not talking about the physical world. He's not talking about the world of mankind, humankind. So what world is John talking about? What's the word for world, the Greek word? It's a Bible nerd trivia here. Okay. Cosmos. All right. You guys heard that before. Okay. All the nods confirm that. You guys know this. You're better than you perceive to be. Um, so cosmos, like the cosmos, cosmology, like the order of the planets and stars and, and the solar system and stuff. It's this, the ordered system, okay? So when John says, do not love the world, he's saying, do not love this world arrangement, this system, right? He's saying, do not love this age, right? It is, do not love this zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. Do not love this, this culture, this society. When you think worldliness, you think man-centered worldview? That's what we're talking about. Okay? That is this world. That is the world. Now I ask, what is in this world? Because he says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. So what's in this world? And we're not talking about physical worlds. So we're not talking about plants and trees and streams and mountains. And we're not talking about the world of mankind. So we're not talking about the souls of men, per se. So what's in this world, this cosmos of this, this world system? Verse 16 tells us, doesn't it? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So that's what's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. So what are these? Lust of the flesh is this human fleshly desires and cravings, physical indulgence, sensuality, sexual immorality. This is fornication. This is pornography. This is drug use, even. This is basically doing whatever feels good. The lust of the flesh. Now, the lust of the eyes this is, this is, this is that, that bottomless covetousness of human want. This is the, the seeing and the wanting. I, I got to have that. I think advertising just preys on human want, doesn't it? On the lust of the eyes, 
where we are seduced by the allure of what we can have, what we might have. And that want just grows within. And it begins with, with the eyes, right? You know the story of Achan, Old Testament. So after the Israelites with Joshua, they march around Jericho uh, seven times, and God brings it down. The command was that you are to put everything to the edge of the sword, and you're not allowed to, you're not permitted to, to take anything, right? And then so Achan, um, he found this, this cloak. He saw this cloak. He saw some gold. Um, and, he, and, and he took it. He brought trouble upon Israel um, because then when they went on to attack the city of Ai, they were routed by Ai. Um, <clears throat> they were, like, yeah, so they, they were defeated by Ai. But when Achan was approached, so they cast lots and it fell on him and they approached him. You know, what is this you have done and brought trouble to Israel? He says, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, I coveted them and I took them. What about David? Lust of the eyes. David saw Bathsheba from the roof and he lusted after her. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Right? So that's the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. This is this arrogant attitude of self-accomplishment or self-achievement. You're boasting in your standing in life, in your position in life. You're totally ignorant that all things are given from God and all things are determined by God for your life. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Uh, one very fitting illustration for all three of these actually takes us back to the very beginning. So when Eve was standing there in front of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she just, what, what does it say? she saw that the tree was what? Or the fruit of the tree was what? The three things. It was good for food, right? The lust of the flesh. It was pleasing to the sight, the lust of the eyes. And it was desirable to make one's wise, to make one wise, Right, because what did the serpent say to her? Your eyes will be open and you will be like God. So she was desiring to go beyond the limitations and the bounds that God had set for her. Say, no, thank you, God, but I will choose my own way. And with that, she, Adam, who was standing beside her, and all of us were plunged together into where we are now. From that ancient day of Genesis 3 to our day, to our day today, with the rampant immorality and godlessness that surrounds us, it is without question. This cosmos, this world is saturated. It is drenched. It is inundated 
soaked in lust and pride. The world is drowning in another flood. And it has no idea. As a matter of fact, most of the world likes it. Apart from God, the ungenerate man can do no else. He is dead in his trespasses and sins. There is no ability to change. There is no desire to have it any other way. There is no will to fight and not give in to his lusts. He knows no other option apart from diving headlong into his unrestrained passions. He has no other option apart from just lusting and coveting and yearning after the deceitfully short-lived momentary joys of sin. And he clings in vain to these temporal vapors of pleasure that this world offers. Because for him, this is all there is. This is all he sees. And how sad it is because his life it indeed is a chasing after the wind. He, he's only at the first part of Ecclesiastes. That's all. It's all vain. For tomorrow we do die. So let me eat and drink and lust and be merry. He's without hope because even upon death, all the objects of his lust are gone and yet his desire and his cravings are never satiated. And he goes to hell eternally hungry eternally lacking. Yet believer, take note, for this is where we all came from. This is where we all once stood. For we were just like the unregenerate man for we were unregenerate too. We were just like the world that we snub our noses at, that we pass judgment upon. We were no different from them. We came from the same batch. We had the same heart. We were just as they were caught up in the hopeless, desperate rat race of pleasure-seeking, coveting whatever the world peddles, whatever the cosmos peddles, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That was all there was. Ephesians 2, 3. Among them, we too all formerly, formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We were no different. With the same heart, that same heart of stone, before experiencing the joy and the liberation of a new covenant as he comes and takes out that heart of stone, puts in a new heart. Among them, we too all formerly lived. We were by nature children of wrath, says Paul in Ephesians. Believer, you have been called out of the world, out of the lust, out of the self-engrossed desire for wanton pleasure, out of the self-gratification and self 
aggrandizement of pride. This is not who you are anymore. You have a new heart. There is a better way. That's why I say with John, Christian, do not love the world because you, Christian, you don't have to. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. Reading on. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you see the exclusivity in that sentence, right? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You will either love God or you will love the world. It's a one or a zero. There's only room enough for one love. Which will it be? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He puts it as clear as it can be. What does Matthew say? In Matthew, what does Jesus say? No man can serve two masters, for he will love the one and hate the other, right? You cannot serve both God and wealth. And I would insert, you cannot serve both God and the world. So who is your master? Who are you serving? If someone were to assess your life objectively, looking at your attitudes, your habits, your desires, looking at what you do with your time, okay, looking at your entertainment choices, looking at your lifestyle. Who does it look like you're serving? Who's your master? You cannot serve both God and the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Christianity is a very radical faith. It's a very radical thing. This is a gouge, your out, gouge out your eye, cut off your hand type of faith. You guys know this is, this is what you signed up for. I just want to kind of step aside and talk about entertainment. Kind of a touchy issue. Christian liberty and holiness in the balance. I'm going to ask you, what do you allow your eyes to see? The eyes are the gateway to the heart. What do you allow your heart to be set upon? You have been called out of the world. You are being beckoned toward heaven. You're being fitted and retrofitted for heaven. You are being taken along this process of progressive sanctification toward eventual glorification. You're headed towards conformity to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this world is the closest to hell you will ever experience, Christian. And where you're headed, heaven, it is not an R-rated place. There is no murder in heaven. There's no cussing in heaven. There's no promiscuity nor sexual immorality in heaven. There's no violence in heaven. I 
I just, I just hope you're not mistaking this for kind of a ultra uh, fundamentalist uh, type of, you know, extra biblical type of thing. I'm all for drums and worship. <laughs> Amen to that. Is Tony here? Tony, okay. All right. Um, you know your heart. You know what your heart can handle. You know your limitations. You know when you're being tempted. I'm only posing the question, what are you allowing your eyes and your heart to see? The psalmist writes in Psalm 101.3, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Back to our text. Right? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you will either love God or you will love the world. You are either embracing God or you are cozying up with the world. You are either a friend of God or you are a friend of the world. There is no other way. You can't straddle two horses. You are either a friend of God or you are a friend of the world. And what does James say? James 4.4, 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James doesn't hold back. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He, call, he calls them adulteresses. Because earlier in this passage, he says that, you know, you, you ask so that you pray, you ask so that you can spend what you get on your pleasures, on your lusts. You adulteresses, he says. You're cheating on, you're betraying your husband. Christian, church of God, do you not know that you are betrothed to Christ? You are engaged to Christ Christian, holy, beloved bride of Christ, you are on your way to an eternal union with your beloved Savior. The great marriage and wedding feast of the Lamb awaits his precious bride, whom he purchased with his own life. He promised you and pledged to marry you. Not by a pithy diamond ring, but by a bloodied cross. And he has left the Holy Spirit to dwell within you as a surety, as a guarantee that you may not doubt that until he comes again to bring you home, he will be with you. He is preparing a place for you and he will bring you there. He's preparing a place where you will dwell with him forever. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Well, there will be no more night, for he will be your everlasting light. And are you flirting with the world? Christian, beloved of God, 
You were bought with a price. And you were meant for so much more than this. But you ask, what about the struggle? The struggle is indeed very real. And it is hard. The destroyer, your adversary, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It is no joke. Yes, we are justified. Yes, you are justified. You're already righteous, but not yet righteous. Right? We live in that tension on this road of sanctification. And we live in Romans 7. I do what I do not want to do. What I do not want to do, I do. Right? We live in Galatians 5 where our flesh and the spirit are at war within. And the war rages every day. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. I don't need to tell you about the struggle. But I do need to tell you about the hope. For he has not left you without tremendous hope. Oh, Christian, if you would embrace this hope... So when the pull of the lust of the flesh, when that pull feels greater than you can bear, look to Christ. He understands. He condescended. He's gone. He's endured it. He's gone through it. When he was tempted for 40 days, right, in the wilderness, Fasting, hungry. Here comes Satan. If you are the Son of God, command these stones that they become bread. Feed yourself, feed your flesh. Man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So you need deliverance from fleshly lust. Man should not live on bread alone, but by every word. You live upon that word. You want to flee fleshly lust? Flee to the scriptures. What about the lust of the eyes? When you're wrestling with the lust of the eyes, say with the psalmist, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. You're fighting the lust of the eyes and you feel that that want, that, that covetousness rising up. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Right? Psalm, I think Psalm 16, 11. For in your right hand is fullness of joy and treasures forevermore. Psalm 63, for your loving kindness is better than life. Therefore, my lips shall praise you. Your loving kindness is better than life. Better than anything this life throws at me. Better than anything I can ever have in this life. And when pride creeps up in your heart, 
that boastful pride of life. Jeremiah 9.23, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, says the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.31, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, the struggle is indeed real. It is no joke and it's no mystery to you. <clears throat> we have seen you fight the lust of the flesh. You, you, you follow Christ. You look to Christ as example. You flee to his word. Fighting the lust of the eyes, I've set the Lord always before me. You look to God. You lift your eyes up. Look beyond your circumstances, beyond what the world throws before you, beyond that new phone or that new car or the clothes or that new house or that new life or that spouse. You look to God, right? When you're fighting the pride that creeps in, you boast in God. You know that all things come from his hand. Do you see the common denominator through all of this? So John says, do not love the world or the things in the world, right? Do not love these things, the lust of, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, part of life. And how do we counter this love? It's like, uh, imagine I have a cup, okay? I have a cup. How do I get all the air out of the cup? How do I get the air out of the cup? You fill it with something else, right? The air's gone. So how do, you, how do you get rid of the love of the world that's in our hearts? The lust of the flesh, lust of eyes, and the pride of life. How do we not love the world? You love God. And that's why I, I ask you, I'm, I have to ask that you ask yourself, do you love God? You know, coming to church, you know, doesn't necessarily equate to, oh, this is, I'm loving God, right? I'm loving your, your, your neighbor, your friends, your, your spouse. Um, you know, this, uh, fellow believers, doesn't necessarily mean, I'm, I'm asking, do you love God? Do you love him? Can you say with Paul that you count all things as rubbish, as trash, in view of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, your Lord, right? That's the antidote. That's loving God. The easiest way to not love the world, love God. MacArthur writes, love is a supreme affection, and as a supreme affection, love allows no rivals. You only have one seat in your Mazda Miata. God's sitting there. There's no room for anyone else. Here's a quote from Augustine. And he asks, what is it I love when I love my God? from his confessions and, and the confessions is, is it's really a, just a long prayer to God. He prays to God, you are ever active yet you are always at rest. 
You gather all things to yourself, though you suffer no need. You grieve for wrong, but suffer no pain. You can be angry and yet serene. Your works are varied, but your purpose is one and the same. You welcome those who come to you, though you never lost them. You are never in need, yet you are glad to gain. You're never covetous, yet you exact a return for your gifts. You release us from our debts, but you lose nothing thereby. You are my God, my life, my holy delight. But is this enough to say of you? Can any man say enough when he speaks of you? Yet woe betide those who are silent about you. For even those who are most gifted with speech cannot find words to describe you. Is it but a slight offense to love you not? We will do well in not loving the world if we strive to love our God. So that's our first reality for believers in the world. Lovers of God cannot love the world. Secondly, the world and its lusts are perishing away. Verse 17. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. It's pretty short and pretty simple. We come to a fork in the road. So one way continues toward everlasting destruction, and one way continues toward everlasting life. These are essentially the broad and narrow gates that Jesus is talking about in Matthew, right? Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. As John says, the world is passing away. Okay, the world is passing away as well as its lusts. And Paul says the same thing using the same term in 1 Corinthians 7, 31, for the present form of this world is passing away. To the apostles here in concert saying that the world is passing away. MacArthur writes, passing for passing away, this is a present tense. It is, the world is currently in the process of disintegrating, Okay. Again, we're talking about the world, this, this cosmos, this zeitgeist, this atmosphere of, of, of sin and lust and pride. This is passing away currently. It's in the process of disintegrating. It's like, it's like entropy. It's all breaking down. This is dissolution. This is self-destruction. He writes, the world, the earth, the universe, the system of man... All of it has within itself the forces of its own disintegration. It is in its own death spiral. And on contrast, what does the rest of the verse say? The one who does the will of God lives forever. The one who does the will of God abides forever. The one who does the will of God, simply believers. John, earlier in his, his gospel, John 6.40, he writes, For this is the will of my Father, Jesus speaking, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise them up on the last day. This is the will of God. What's the will of God there? The will of God is that everyone who beholds his son, Jesus Christ, and believes in him will have eternal life. 
So MacArthur continues, there are two destinies here. The world and its lusts are passing away. Believers are not. There are two operating principles here. The world is operating upon a principle of death and destruction. The people of God are operating upon a principle of life. The world and its lusts are passing away. I hope that speaks a word of hope to you. Because that is incredible news. For the war-torn, beleaguered, weary, weathered believer. Weary with sin. For years upon years, with that raging war within, with the spirit and the flesh, the world and its lusts are passing away. Deliverance is coming ultimate final liberation from this flesh from these lusts from this pride from sin from temptation from this agonizing war deliverance is coming so I close with this believer Christian chosen of God beloved of God this world with its lusts It's all spiraling down this whirlpool to final disintegration. And even as it goes down, it's going to keep coming at you with every ounce of seduction and lust and temptation that it can muster and that it can fire at you. But hold fast. Do not yield. Do not be enticed. Even when your little ship is bombarded by a hurricane of temptation, because sometimes it feels like a hurricane of temptation. Take heart. For if you have sought refuge in the ark of Jesus Christ, this ship will not go down. Let's pray. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God, we would not hunger or thirst for righteousness if not for your intervention within our hearts. We would not be pure in heart if we were not given a new heart. God, we thank you that this salvation is all yours from first to last. As you take us upon this road, as you mold us and shape us and sanctify us, as we shed the world and grow more into conformity with your son. God, you deserve all the praise. But even so, for the soul that does not know you, that does not have Christ helpless against the raging wiles of lust. I pray that you would give us a heart of compassion. God, that we would reach out to them with the love of Christ and they might have the antidote, that they might come to know you, be saved by you, to love you, and not fall prey to the love of this world. Give us hearts for those people. 
especially as we look at missions and evangelism. And next time we, uh, as we meet. So we thank you, God, for your work in us. It is all yours. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.